Coaching Inside the Box. A youth soccer coaching podcast. A Brit, a Brazilian, and an American discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development. Can you coach inside the box? Welcome back to Coaching Inside the Box, episode 41. It has been a long hiatus. Sorry, guys. I've been here, sat in studio, literally since the last time we recorded, but Philippe and Andy have been gallivanting across the world, and it took me a bit to get them back in and sat at the uh, at the desk with me. Andy, uh, you went to Aruba? <laughs> no. Somewhere in the Caribbean. <laughs> the Saint Martin and Anguilla, as they call it over there. Anguilla, as I used to call it. <laughs> that's that's the one with the, the, the island with the beach that the planes land over, right? Yeah, Mayho Beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you get knocked over by the wind of a landing plane? uh, There wasn't a big enough jet on the day. I stood right in the path. Yeah, yeah. But there was only a smaller jet. And, and, you know, it pushed me back a little bit, the smaller jet. Did it? You know, even though it had props, it pushed me back. I've seen video of people literally being somersaulted into the the water from the giant uh, jets that land. The the jet I flew in on Uh would have blown me over. Yeah, you know, but that none of those were flying out when we visited the beach. Interesting. The yeah. most Interesting. dangerous thing for Andy there was the sun. <laughs> you know oh, how he struggles. <laughs> that with is the true. Sun. He is still peeling on on that big old nose of his. <laughs> Did you have to say big old? <laughs> well, I, I mean, you, you know, I, I I feel like my responsibility <laughs> as a host on this podcast is to paint a picture for those that aren't watching it on YouTube, and so I wanted to paint an accurate picture. Talking about airports, airports, you could land a plane on this nose. <laughs> 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 For those not that have no idea what we're talking about, there's specifically a beach that is tiny. Oh, I thought you were going to say that Andy has a big nose. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who can't see, it's really big. You should look up the beach in St. Martin where the airplanes land, um, and you'll see video and know exactly. My nose what we're is so about. big; it's even obvious on radio. <laughs> <laughs> and Felipe, I, I mean, genuinely, I had no idea he was going to be in Brazil until it just showed up on my social media that he was in Brazil at a wedding. Maybe? Yeah, yeah. My cousin was getting married, and unfortunately, because of COVID. My family couldn't be at my wedding. I couldn't be at my sister's wedding. So my cousin's wedding, you know, I was one of the groomsmen and, you know, walked with my sister down the aisle. So I kind of had to be there. So it was like, didn't really had a way to take a lot of time off. So I literally went for five days and it was exhausting because by the time I we got there. Did you was, sleep in those five days? Oh, barely. I think I slept like during those five days, like, 20 hours combined maybe like um, it was everything so quick so many people to th- see so many things to do and you know so but it was fun it was great to see everybody and always fun that's good and Andy I always appreciate although I didn't see it on this trip but when you travel abroad you always tend to find these little nooks and crannies where soccer is being played right I remember seeing the clips you sent back from Egypt with the kids in I I don't know if calling it a street would be appropriate. Uh, did you run into any of that on the island, or was it so touristy that you didn't really see any footy being played? You, you just reminded me, actually. I, I I sent you guys a clip. I never got it. Of a soccer game. Well, I looked at my phone yesterday, and it didn't send. Oh, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> I, I must have been out, out of range when I sent it. Um, yeah, I found an under-19 game, a big rivalry. You know, and I sat down and watched it, and you know, I got to say this, and you know, I hope nobody from the island is listening. This was on 
St. Martin, but their under-19 standard was appalling. <laughs> was so they're worst. not going to win a gold cup anytime soon? <laughs> it was worse. The game I watched was worse than our under-9s <laughs> playing. It was, it was, no, here's an interesting thing. Uh, so I get violently seasick when I get on the, on, the, on the water. So I took a ferry over from St. Martin to Anguilla with my wife. And, uh, and, and I always ask if I can sit up front you know, with the captain, you know, if they'll let me, because if I look at the horizon, I don't get seasick. You okay. know, when I'm down sitting in the, in, the, in the belly of the beast, I get seasick. And, uh, and so uh, they're very nice and they let me sit up front. And I, I was up there with the captain, uh, his, you know, second in command and a guy called Darwin Mussington. That's a name. Yeah, yeah, and look him up, D-A-R-V-I-N, Mussington, N-U-S-S-I-N-G-T-O-N. And uh, he is a famous singer in the islands, and, uh, and, and he invited us to you know, a, a performance he was giving that night, and we went along, and he serenaded my wife, you know, and uh, you know, sp- sang the song Lady to Tracy, and it was just fantastic, but his brother... Uh, is you know, like the head of the FA on Anguilla, okay, and is developing this soccer park, you know, in the less privileged area of the island. And we actually drove by it, you know, because we were visiting these remote beaches uh, on the east end of the island. And so, um, you know, uh, you know, I did connect soccer-wise with probably the you know w- the first family of soccer and the first family of props, perhaps singing. <laughs> On the island of Anguilla. Same family. Yeah, same family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, just as it, it, it happened to occur, you know, while we were there. Oh, very you know, good. By coincidence. Yeah. But then, in, you know, is it really coincidence? You know, I always wonder about that because, you know, that seems to happen to me a lot. Andy, I always try to take every conversation we're in a little deeper than we were prepared. <laughs> so, anyway, you know, it, it was, it was a, a, a great experience because I got to see... Soccer on St. Martin at the youth level at the, and, and you know, the facilities they had and everything. So we're incredibly fortunate here, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and then I got to actually, you know, um, get involved with a soccer family on Anguilla. Yeah. You know, and, and get to see that, that side of things as well. Very cool. Well, we've got an action-packed episode for you today that is not going to just be today. We're going to do a part one today and then a part two t- tomorrow. But before we jump into that content, um, we need to make a pit stop. Um, those of you listening, you might feel privileged to be a coach inside the box listener, but you may not know the uh, the impact. I don't know if impact is the right word, but the connections that uh, that we now have with U.S. soccer, we didn't have them before. Um, I wouldn't call them a close current connection, but it is a connection um, of uh, that is noticeable or that's notable um, that we'd like to mention. So U.S. soccer just announced their new sporting director, Matt Crocker, who comes from initially uh, Cardiff City, then Southampton, then the US Na- or the England national youth setup. Uh, I think he guided, he wasn't the coach, but he was the sporting director or the uh, English equivalent um, over the U17 and U20s that won uh, the U17 and U20 World Cup for England. But Matt Crocker got his start in US soccer with none other than Andy Barney and the uh, Legends Club here in Kansas City. Um, and we'd like to, Andy, I'd like, I think that our listeners would enjoy understanding um, what you know of Matt and what your interactions were like with Matt some 20 plus years ago. Right. The, the connection we shared was we went to the same university, Cardiff Metropolitan University. In a, and I preceded Matt by, you know, at least double figures in years. 
but so Matt's not nearly as old as Andy. Yeah, he's he's in his fifties. Okay, you know, and I'm and I turned sixty five just last week, and so so. Uh, but I used to go back to Cardiff Metropolitan University when I wanted to hire good coaches, good people for. Uh, you know, the Legends Club, you know, the National Indoor Soccer Championship that I used to run, the, the Super Clubs National Championship that I used to run, the Super Clubs Tours. You know, uh, you know we, we used to do a ton of stuff. Uh, and so, you know, I went back to the well, you know, where I studied, and Matt was one of the people that interviewed, you know, to you know, get, get the job to come to Kansas City and work for us. And uh, instantly, I just loved the guy, you know, because... Very bright, very intelligent, very open-minded. You know, obviously very kind, very caring. You know, just a just a lovely guy. You know, you know, but but a go-getter. You know, had the fire as well as having all the you know the personal attributes that you love to have in a friend. You know, and uh, and so I offered him the job, and because he was so good, I actually gave him my daughter's team to coach because I wanted her and her teammates. You know, that a lot of whom were good friends with the family. Uh, you know, to have that experience of, of you know, of, you know, having a, a British fella that really was a good person that knew knew what he was talking about, uh, coach. And at that point in time, he'd only done a few camps in Arkansas, I think, during summers from college. Uh, so it wasn't like he had a fantastic coaching track record, but I just knew there was a special something about Matt, you know, and so... So, uh, you know, he coached my daughter's team for a couple of years and did an absolutely fantastic job. He coached a few teams in the club, but did an absolutely fantastic job with her team. Uh, but the poor guy, he had to put up with me in his ear on the sidelines <laughs> for two years. You know, because he came over with a very British pass and receive mentality towards the game. And, of course, that's the, if you like, the, you know, if not the polar opposite, pretty close to the polar opposite of what we believe in. You know, because we're deceptive dribbling and goal scoring, you know, as the two primary skills that we focus on, you know. And so Matt had to kind of flip his his, his ideas. And, and uh, you know, at that point in time, I had maybe just published the book or, I'd put, you know, I'd written a lot of the book. And, and so I, I took, you know, I sent it to Matt, you know, and we got into a lot of discussions. And, and uh, you know, he was brilliant. He was open-minded and, you know, and, uh, you know, by no means was he a yes man. You know, you know, plenty of questions and disagreeing in certain areas, which helped me develop the philosophy because he had a good mind. Um, and and so, uh, but over time, he became a lot more deceptive, dribbling, and skill-oriented. You know, and in following his career after leaving us, uh, he went back as the head of the Cardiff Youth Academy because he played there as a kid, and they knew the quality of person he was, and they gave him the head of the youth academy job. So is he Welsh, not English? Yeah, he's Welsh. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, What's the difference? <laughs> What's the difference? I thought they were both you know, Britain. <laughs> hey, Philly, what's the difference between Brazil and Argentina, mate? You know, they're both the same, aren't they? The neighboring countries. We have five World Cups, they have three. <laughs> well, England has one and Wales has zero. So, so, and so, Germany so. has more than Brazil. Well, they do have the same amount of euros. <laughs> Germany's won more World Cups than Brazil. So. You know, but that includes the women, of course. Yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, so Brazil can't claim to be the best country in the world for soccer. I'm sorry. That goes On the man's side. Yeah. yeah. On the man's side. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you know, before we start a war over <laughs> Wales and England and Brazil and Argentina, you know. Um, so he went to Cardiff. 
yeah, he went to Cardiff and, and at Cardiff, uh, he produced a number of good players at Cardiff, but Aaron Ramsey is the one that most people recognize because he was the Welsh captain, mm-hmm. you know, and played for Arsenal and then went to Juventus and, mm-hmm. you know, has traveled around a bit, but, you know, tremendous player, you know, and he was with Matt in the academy program at Cardiff. But then Matt got headhunted by Southampton. He joined Southampton and, and, and then he blew the lid off of development because at Southampton, uh, you know, Gareth Bale is obviously, you know, probably the most famous and Welsh captain again and, uh, you know, tremendous dribbler and goal scorer. And, and uh, you know, and, and Matt had a big part in, in uh, and actually Gareth Bale, when he was 15, wasn't anything to write home about. He was a left back, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he, he wasn't a dribbler and goal scorer. And, and so that transition from everything I can glean happened, you know, during Matt's watch, mm-hmm. you know, into a great, you know, forward, great dribbler and goal scorer. And, uh, and then uh, Callum Chambers, Theo Walcott, Luke Shaw. Um, who's the Liverpool? Uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Oxlade-Chamberlain. Yep. Uh, did I say Adam, Adam Lallana? Nope. No, Adam Lallana. Uh, this goes on uh, Ward Prowse, you know, and these are all intensely technical players, mm-hmm. dribblers, goal scorers. You know, even when you're looking at Luke Shaw and Callum Chambers, who are defenders, they're very comfortable on the ball because Southampton had a tremendous skill emphasis. You know, while Matt was running the program, and you know, I would dare to say that Matt, you know, got that from here, from the. Yeah. From you know coaching with the legends and having me beat him up on a regular basis about hey quit emphasizing the passing so much and you know let's take him on yeah let's go for it let's- well, well I mean he certainly remembers his time at the very least with 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 legends because in his uh, press conference somebody asked him what his experience was if he had any experience um, with U.S. soccer and he mentioned specifically yeah I came over and coached the Lewisburg legends and then mentioned the two team captains of the team by name at the U.S. press conference, which uh, uh, was very, uh, I think, a great response, very Ted Lasso-esque, um, uh, um, but not, 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 not a terrible thing being called out by the new U.S. sporting soccer director. Right. And, so. and I hadn't seen that, but I, I got a message uh, from Sean McCaffrey, who's the owner of the um, Long Island Soccer Magazine, and, and, and Sean said, uh, you know, did you have anything to do with Matt Crocker? And I said, how the heck did you find out? You know, and uh, he said, uh, he said, I was at the presser <laughs> when Matt announced that he was part of the Lewisburg Legends in Kansas, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I used to work on Long Island with Sean. OK, you know, and so so, uh, you know, going back decades, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. and so he said, uh, you know, I thought I'd give you, you know, a, a quick you know, contact and to see if there was any connection there. And and, uh, you know, and so I told him the story, you know, and, and there was a very strong connection, you know, and so. Um, I think U.S. soccer is about to um, uh, be challenged to undergo a transformation where deceptive dribblers and goal scorers are given a greater priority under Matt's guidance because that's what he did with the England national organization when he left Southampton is uh, he transformed England from not having won a World Cup of, of any type at any age since 1966 to winning the Euros with an under-20 team and winning the World Cup with the under-17 team mm-hmm. uh, with Phil Foden, for example, that now plays for Manchester City, uh, you know, on that squad. And, uh, and Jaden Sancho was one of Matt's protégés that, that came through the England programme as well. And, and so, 
you know, what Matt did is he made the England setup more creatively oriented and, you know, he got the more of the professional game to start playing the young, talented 17-year-olds like Foden, like Sancho, you know, and, uh, you know, and of course, Sancho went and played for Dortmund, who are famous for playing young players, you know, at the highest level in the Bundesliga. Um, but, you know, Crocker, I think, retooled the whole mentality while he was, you know, running the England youth program. I, I hope I hope there is a change. Um, I'm optimistic, um, given uh, Crocker's background. It's needed for sure. Um, but I'll never forget the story you tell, Andy, when you were at the youth soccer training center and Greg Berhalter was there with a bunch of youth coaches, and you asked Greg directly, "What is it that, in your opinion, that that uh, American youth soccer coaches should be doing in their training sessions?" And his response was five v two rondos. And so we have a long way to go from that to hopefully a new era with U.S. soccer. Hopefully under Matt Crocker's Right, um, because my response would have been teach your players to go one against two. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, he's talking about, you know, teach your players to have two and a half times the advantage yeah. in terms of numbers yeah. and play the ball around. And I'm saying teach your players to go from man down to beating two players and scoring a goal. Yeah, let's create some space. Right. And, and you know, most people are so passing oriented, they don't realize the only reason that Argentina played France in the final mm-hmm. because Argentina had... Messi mm-hmm. and France had Mbappe. Yeah, that's the only reasons that they were in the final in the first place. Yeah. And so, you know, how stupid do you have to be to continue to beat the the passing drum? Mm-hmm. You know, when the last World Cup final was only occurred because each team had a fantastic dribbler and goalscorer, you know, who was able individually to crown the rest of the move that the teams did by by you know either scoring a goal or getting a great assist mm-hmm. you know and and that's what all through history has been the determining you know aspect of the great teams is you know the brazilian teams you know in 58 62 70 you know and the great team in 82 that you know that I thought it was definitely going to win the World Cup at the time. Everybody did. Yeah, you know, and the fantastic team in 2002, you know, who had th- three geniuses on their team, you know. And, and so, you know, and, and, and when we say they had three geniuses, you know, we, we actually, you know, don't even include Roberto Carlos as a genius, and he was a genius. So they, you know, so there's, they, you know, and Cafu was a genius. And so, you know, we're only talking about super geniuses. You know, when we talk about, you know, Ronaldo and Ronaldinho and Rivaldo, sure. you know, because they had multiple geniuses on the team, you know. And so this, in, this is what makes the difference in great teams, great programs. And it's also what makes the difference in life. So, so I share with you too, but I'm going to share with the audience. Before the Arsenal and Man City game, the English commentator before the game, yeah. they're discussing who should be playing, Gabriel Jesus or Trossard, and he goes... I think Trossard should be starting this game because he's really good at taking care of the football. And <laughs> was that and supposed to be an English accent? <laughs> <laughs> that sounded a little kind of French. French. Yeah. <laughs> but, but wait, but aren't France and England basically the same place? <laughs> <laughs> no, but he needs to take care of the football because Arsenal is going to need to keep possession of the ball. I'm like, he's talking about the number nine. Like, <laughs> who cares if he's good at taking care of the football and keeping possession? He needs to be good at scoring goals. And, like, it's just that mentality that 
It's just I I watch you know a ton of EPL soccer and time and again I'm listening to the commentators you know the expert sure you know that that grew up playing in England you know they're English uh, and they're commentating on an English game you know and and I see a player with the ball uh, and and he's got a defender isolated and there's like twenty yards behind the defender and. So he takes the defender on and the commentator criticizes him because he loses the ball taking the defender on when the defender's on his own. You know, and if you beat the defender, you're going to have a goal-scoring opportunity or at least an assist opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, and and the, the commentator, just because he lost the ball, starts criticizing the dribbler you know, for taking the player on when before that there were 50 moves where they passed the ball around and lost the ball. Mm-hmm. And, and that was good. You know, it's okay to lose the ball passing, but when you've got a guy isolated and you take him on and you can beat him one out of three times, it's bad. And, so, you know, and that's the problem with English soccer. You know, outside of people like Matt Crocker, you know, have seen the light and are promoting the deceptive dribblers, which I think Gareth Southgate is doing now. Looking at the squads he's picking for England, he's now got more and more deceptive dribblers that are coming into the picture as far as representing England than ever before in my memory. You know, and it's like 1966. There was hardly a decent deceptive dribbler oh, You guys on the have team. more wingers and, like, attacking players than you get center mids. And you guys used to have, like, seven Steve Ger- Gerrards <laughs> in the, in, on the field at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and guys like Glenn Hoddle had a terrible tough time breaking into the English sure. squad, but he was a magician, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so anybody with real talent was highly suspect. There was something wrong with them. They were too creative. Well, a totally different level, <laughs> but the same concept. So my daughter's a freshman in high school. The, the spring soccer in Missouri is when uh, high school soccer takes place. Right. And it is the first time I've ever spent any extended period of time on the parents' side of the field because I've coached my daughter all the way through. I coach all of my kids. I don't sit on the parents' sideline. And I am shocked at what comes out of parents' mouth. And I don't even mean the negative stuff. I just mean what they what they ask for and what they encourage to happen on the field. Last night was the perfect example. I'm sat right behind a group of parents in front of me. I know them. They're, they're from the other team. Every time on the other team, there's a player that I coach, a Legends player. Every time she gets on the ball, these moms start yelling for her to pass every single time. Pass, 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 pass. And even early on, I made a joke and said, oh, that's she got, she got a lot of legends in her. It's going to take a minute before she releases the ball kind of deal. But they didn't think it was funny. They were like, I know. And, uh, and so it goes on. And I mean, a girl would get the ball, be faced right on the sideline, be faced toward the crowd, right? People crawling all over their back. There is literally not a passing option in sight, and they'd be screaming at her to pass. And then, and then, if somebody did pass and they lost possession, great, that was a good idea. And I like the the enthusiasm from the parent side for just getting rid of the ball, for getting the rid of the ball's sake, was off the charts. And I finally said to Mike about twenty minutes into the game, I go, "We're going to have to move. I'm, I can't listen to this anymore. <laughs> I'm going to say something." So we got up and moved to the other uh, side of the, the sideline. But it 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 hit me that. You say that that's a problem in England. It's a problem deep all the way to even just a JV level soccer game in suburban Kansas City. Um, and parents and, 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 and soccer enthusiasts alike 
don't get it nearly at the level that they need it's to. like when you when you lose the ball because you're passing it's like oh you're sharing you're being kind 100%. when you're lo- when you're losing the ball because you're taking somebody on it's because you're selfish if that's the best opportunity if the, you have three opportunities three thi- different things to do on the play and that's the best option you gotta take that option if you miss it then you can be criticized at the professional game oh he should be better he should do a better move he should be better at taking the guy on but that's the right option and they just you know because of the selfish versus selfless connotation it just and one is okay the other one is not and the bias that exists because they only had two or three chances on goal the entire game it was a zero zero bore fest from a chance created perspective last night one of the only few chances that team had the entire game was the player in question that i'm talking about the legends player did a cruyff turn at the top of the box to beat a to beat a player created a bit of space and then had a shot and that was one of the didn't even recognize like oh it was that individual skill that created one of our only two or three chances the entire game. Instead, when she gets the ball, if she could just kick it blindly somewhere, we can cheer her on for having passed the ball. So, so what is it that um, that the, you know the soccer world calls a player that dribbles? Uh, uh, selfish hot dog, ball hog, ball right? hog, yeah, 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 ball hog, yeah. And so, the the people that are accusing the Brazilian. ball hog of being a ball hog. Why are they doing it? Because it's not their kid. And see, this is the interesting thing is, the very thing they're accusing the player that is dribbling the ball, in their opinion, too much of, is, is selfishness, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason that they are accusing that player of selfishness is because that player is depriving their child of the ball, you know, because the rest of the players on the field aren't getting any chance of the ball if it's not being passed. Are you are you pointing out hip, 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 uh, a hypocrite? Total hypocrisy. Because <laughs> all of the people, you know, basically saying ball hog mm-hmm. are being incredibly selfish. Because yeah, yeah. they want their kid to have the ball that the kid on the ball is playing with at the mm-hmm. time. Because inevitably, if you're a deceptive dribbler and you're taking six or seven, eight touches on every possession... You know, as opposed to the hot potato one and two touch pass mentality, even if it's the wrong time to pass, you know, lots of coaches love that stuff. You know, get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it. Hot potato, hot potato. You know, and France wouldn't have been in the final and Argentina wouldn't have won a World Cup if Mbappe and Messi had gotten rid of it every time mm-hmm. that they got the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, so what, what is going on here is like this interesting psychological conundrum because the very thing they're accusing that player of is selfishness. And the reason they're accusing that player of being selfish is that they are being selfish. <laughs> it, it, it's really it, it, weird. It's, it's noticed uh, for sure. Um, with that said, this was a really long pit stop into Matt Crocker initially, but down a, 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 a road nonetheless. Really what we want to talk about today and in our next episode, and now perhaps in the next episode <laughs> as things uh, progress, is we want to talk about um, uh, uh, you know tryouts is around the corner in Kansas City. And inevitably, every, every tryout season, we have this conversation, both, I think, individually for all of us with with 
with parents within the teams that we coach, with collectively the teams that we coach, within coaches um, uh, within the club about their teams and and how that how that goes on. But but when is the the right time? Maybe is the question that we're we're debating um, that a player looks to leave an environment um, that that prioritizes individual development over winning, um, which is who we are and what we do. Um, when is the right time? And uh, I think we all probably have uh, strong, strongly held opi- opinions and life experience, both as players and coaches, um, about that. Uh, so w- with that said, um, Andy, you oftentimes, this is where I'd like to start if we can, you often, the, the best example uh, that I've ever been given by anybody, you specifically, that I use often when talking to parents about it, when they start to express a desire, usually around the dawning of tactical awareness, usually around 12, 13, 14, when kids start to get the game from a tactical perspective is when parents start to think, okay, we don't do enough tactical stuff in practice. Like that's when I hear those whispers, like, should we be doing more? You know, should we be going to another club where we can get more tactical stuff, win oriented stuff? Um, um, Andy, you, the, the best argument that I've had or that I use in my experience has always been one that you gave me, which is, parent, you must remember that between ages of 12 and 15, kids are going to hit puberty and they are going to grow. And during that puberty and grow, they're going to add on a ton of new muscle tissue throughout their entire body. And all of that muscle tissue that they've, that I think you called a backpack of muscle tissue that they add on to their body is not trained to do the technical skills um, yet because it's brand new tissue. And so if you stop focusing on that during that period, you are going to lose it, um, the technical ability, um, when you come out on the other side of, of puberty. And so if there's ever a time to not leave, it's during that 12 to 15 um, age group because you're going to lose what makes you special now. And you're going to lose it factually because science says you have to lose it because you're adding a bunch of new tissue that's not training it do you got a better one than that what what do you say about that or have i described it as well well i think i have a better one and it's way more simple than that you have to play to win whenever you're getting paid to do it period everything before that is development you should be thinking about your individual development you're not getting paid to play in in a club or in an academy or anything. Well, in an academy, academy maybe, but still with that, the purpose should be development as well. Once you're in college and you're getting your school paid for and the team needs to win, for you to get keep your scholarship or you get become a professional and you're getting paid and you have your salary, sponsors and all that, then you got to play to win. Other than that, don't play to win. you got to play to develop. That's it. And yeah, to have fun. Philippe, the, the, so what happens at this this age and stage is the other clubs in town come after our players like, like crazy vultures yeah and and i feel dishonestly tell the players that this is the time they need to start focusing on the team game you know and you know you need to flip now from being a deceptive dribbler into understanding team tactics of which there are thousands and of which there are team tactics that they'll never see again sure. beyond you know what the team they play for in the in youth soccer uses because there's so many tactical schemes to, there's so many ways to skin that cat you know and so so you know a coach can train and what I'm saying is a coach can train a team for a whole year to follow a tactical approach 
that kid goes into high school and she's playing a different tactical game yeah. and that year has been virtually totally wasted. Yeah. You know, then they go into college and they're playing a different tactical game again and both the high school year and the club years have been totally wasted if they've been trained from a tactical perspective. But one thing is omnipotent, is all-powerful, and that is your technical ability and your tactical speed as an individual because that is applicable in everything you do from that point onwards. And that's what we train is that incredible creative technical ability and tactical speed. But getting back to what you asked about the, um, the backpack of useless tissue situation, that, you know, this is one of the, um, the least recognized and frankly most dangerous aspect of youth development for both boys and girls, but especially for girls. Because, you know, we get these players and, and from age, you know, for example, our 2009 team that are current USYS national champions, we've had a lot of those kids since they were four, five, six, seven, and we've trained them to be incredibly capable with the ball at their feet. They are dancers. You know, they, their body control is amazing. Under pressure from defenders, you know, they, they dribble, they cut, they twist, they turn, they do moves. You know, their ability in tight quarters, you know, they're hand-to-hand combat masters, you know. And, and so they've got this incredible, uh, unique skill set with the ball, you know, that is, is a joy to watch, which is why they're national champions. And honestly, weren't threatened along the way to win in the national championship. You know, did it amazingly comfortably. It wasn't like the World Cup final between Argentina and France, where it could have gone either way. You know, this was something I never, watching all the games as I did, I never felt that they were close to being challenged. Mm -hmm. You know, I always felt they were totally comfortable. And so, you know, I've never seen this before at the national championship level, is this level of comfort. But all these kids have grown up in our philosophy. And so, so they've laid down all of this fantastic tissue. You know, nerves, muscles, bones, all connective tissue, ligaments, tendons, you know, and, and then something, you know, good and terrible happens to a female is, you know, at about 11, they start their growth spurt and, and they go vertical like crazy. And as they go vertical, they don't add cross-sectional muscle. So, the, the, you know, these kids that were quite compact and to a certain degree wide enough and strong enough to handle the battering of youth soccer, you know, they had six inches, nine inches during a couple of years, you know, fastest growth level they're ever going to experience. And, you know, they look like young colts with long legs and high bodies. And, and so, you know, they're a much greater risk of injury during that phase. And, uh, and then women stay at a much higher risk of injury you know, especially for, you know, the ACL, the anterior cruciate ligament injury, which is best part of a year if you're going to rehab safely and completely and do it right before you can play again. And, and so what we've got is we've got this, this epidemic of ACL injuries occurring in young girls. Now, the previous school of thought over the last 30 years, and I've had a lot of experience in ACL injuries with with my own family, uh, I had a daughter that had hyperextensivity of the knee, had knees that went backwards like a duck, and she ended up having four ACL injuries before the Sporting Kansas City doctor, who's brilliant, said, I can't stop her tearing her ACL because her natural bodily tendency 
is to be very loose in the knee. And you know, now that she's traumatized it four times, it's just going to happen again when she puts the knee under pressure. So, so you know, I had to deal with you know, ACL injuries a lot more than I ever wanted to because of her genetic you know, difference. And, and so I got to study this in depth. And, and over the years, um, our club has had an absolutely incredible low incidence of ACL injury. You know, especially in those teenage girls, you know, and so, you know, I'm, I'm wrestling with phenomenon and more research is being done in the field. And gradually it's been revealed that the, the greatest thing you can do for a young girl is train them to be um, incredibly fit through all of the angles that you're going to put your knee joint through, you know, in the extremes during any physical activity is that has to be pre-trained, you know, and, and, and there's a number of reasons for this, but, but um, first off is just the physiological reason. Um, and I'm going to use Simone Biles as an example for this, because what they did is they scanned Simone Biles. She submitted herself to, she just got married, by the way, so, you know, congratulations, Simone. What you did for gymnastics was unheard of. You know, and, and just wondrous to watch, you know. And so the best ever gymnast, you know, who did multiple moves for the first time ever, um, they, they, they examined her physiology. You know, over the period of time, she should have had way more serious injuries than she, she incurred because of what she did in terms of breaking the glass ceiling over gymnastic skill. You know, and so and what they found when they scanned her is that, you know, she had ACLs like ship's horses, massively thick ACLs. You know, you'd literally have to take an axe to them, you know, to snap them, you know, because over the years from age. Don't you know, tell Tanya Harding that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Philippe would Philippe recognize that. No I have no idea what's happening <laughs> right now. She was, she was an ice skater who went after her biggest opponent, you know, and literally. With a metal bar to her yeah. knee. <laughs> she hired a guy to go, while she was walking down the street, I think a street, like go and just like six months before no the Olympics. Way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, wow. <laughs> Talk about crazy. I always wonder what, how these things don't happen more often, like, because people are crazy. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah. Uh, so. So um, when they examined Simone Biles, they realized that a, a massive part of the reason why she avoided injury was the fact that she developed incredible ligaments, incredible tendons, incredible muscle structure. You know, the density of her bones was, you know, double what a normal human being would have. You know, all these years of pounding that she'd put her body through obviously caused a physiological adaptation to the nth degree so that she was able to handle all of the things that made her the world's best gymnast for way over a decade you know and so so you know but that one seems really obvious right mm -hmm. you know that if you really put your body through the mill you're going to build better tissue yeah well how in soccer do you put your body through the mill it, well, in my opinion, really tight spaces, playing really fast, um, always changing direction. Uh, so our one v one and two v two in 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 a you know thirty six by seventy two box field is perfect for it. And the skill training too, you move your feet and legs and knees all directions yeah. and angles. So so this is you know, basically you know to train strength in the legs, you've got to be going bent leg to straight leg, and you've got to be twisting and turning while you're doing it. Yeah. You know, thousands upon thousands, thousands of times. times. Yeah. You know, and so this is what our players do. 
So what happens when you're a Legends player is you develop this incredible strength, but strength through range. Yeah. You know, that you don't develop weightlifting. You know, so you can go to all sorts of rehab clinics after you've torn your knee up and you're going to be using machines and you're going to be doing things in a very controlled manner, but you're not going to be, you know, crossing over all range, you know, the whole range of, of you know, knee movements yeah. and twists and turns. You know, the best clinics do some of that, but it's nothing like what we do as a club. So for that reason alone and the way in which we build physiology, because we're, we're doing Maradona turns, Cruyff turns, Matthews moves, you know, you know, our maestro series is incredibly tough from a bent leg to straight leg while twisting and turning perspective. You know, so, and you'd think we would actually get more injuries, but the opposite is the case because we train these kids from a young age. So by the time they are susceptible to these injuries, from 13, 14 onwards, they've already developed incredible physiology to combat, you know, the, that, that injury risk. Yeah, but six months later, 12 months later, 18 months later, when you stop doing that type of training and you add on the, the, all the new tissue that happens during 11 to 15, during puberty, during your growth spurt, um, you, you, you revert back to total susceptibility to those injuries that you wouldn't have been had you continued to train in, in, in that manner. Right. So, so there's two more things. The, the, I'm always trying to jump to the end, Andy. Forgive me. Yeah, it's, but you, you're, you're right that, that that will go away yeah. if you don't continue using it. So, you know, it's like anything, you know, use it or lose it. Yeah. So it's going to disappear if you don't continue to do those moves, you know, to go through those motions. And so when players leave our club, inevitably, they don't continue to do those pretzel motions that are involved in Maradona turns and Cruyff turns and spin Cruyffs and the, the extra things that we do that maybe haven't been recognized sure. in the international game. And they're, they're, they're incredibly difficult, but incredibly effective. You know? And so, so there's that. But then there's the other golden bullet. And, and this is the proprioception. Are you familiar with what proprioception yeah. means? Yeah. You know, it is balancing coordination it, it, it you know to, to to give a short version you know it's it's proprioception refers to your your awareness of where your body and its components are in space and time you know so coordinated coordination every, everything that goes into that balance and coordination yeah okay. yeah so you know and uh, and so you know this is um so this is loosely put as you know you can you can draw a one inch barrier around your body and it's everything that happens within your body in relation to space and time you know whilst you're doing a maradona turn and somebody's trying to whack you mm -hmm. you know and so so you know that your proprioceptive awareness is massive you know when you're dribbling deceptively with the ball and and so so we've, we've dealt with the physiology. We build superior physiology in our players because of the way in which we train them to be deceptive dribblers and in tight spaces. Everything we do builds much superior physiology, which reduces ACL and other injury risks. Mm -hmm. the, the next part, though, is that proprioception factor. Because, you know, our players, because we ask them to do things that are literally rocket science of soccer, our players have a massively better proprioceptive awareness 
of where their body is in space and time. And this has been shown to be a massive factor in injury, mm-hmm. especially ACL injury. You know, because if you are not proprioceptively adept, expert, then you have a much greater chance of, of getting your ACL cut in half. Mm-hmm. And most ACL injuries are self-inflicted. They occur actually on landings. You know, like Ibrahimovic did one when he was playing for L.A. You know, as, as he landed, his foot went back, his knee went back on itself, and he tore his ACL. I think he was 45 at the time. You know, but, but um, you know, so that obviously probably had an influence. He was a little bit older, a little bit slower. Um, but, you know, self-inflicted landing or, or stepping, twisting and turning injuries caused the majority of ACL tears. So there's that proprioception, uh, you know, which is you know, like a, a, a closed circuit within your body network that lets you know where you are in relation to what you're trying to do. And, you know, my perspective is that doing what we do, we develop elite proprioception. So we don't suffer the same number of, of um, miscalculations that other players suffer because we've had to do, you know, drag Maradona turns, you know, with two people hanging off of our shirts for all these years. And so our proprioceptive awareness is off of the charts positive compared to the average player that would just tear the ACL when they come down from jumping for a header, you know, in what seems to be a really simple, innocuous situation. Does that make sense? Sure. The third factor is, you know, this is almost sci-fi is the, the human being's ability to feel something coming. You know, it's, it's a sixth sense. It's known as the sixth sense, you know, because we've got all the, you know, the ability to see, the ability to smell. You know, this is an awareness that is, is, is difficult to perceive, all right, but it's when you're somewhere and the hairs on your neck stand up and you haven't consciously registered the, there's somebody behind that, that hedge waiting to jump you. You've watched a lot of horror movies, haven't you? But <laughs> <laughs> we have this. We have you know, built into us, and this is something that has been, over the years, something that's preserved our ability to live, yeah. is we've developed this human sixth sense. You know, it's been baked into us when we're born, apparently, you know, to a certain degree. But of course, sixth sense is adaptable. We can develop it to a greater degree. And, and this is where you can feel something coming, you know, because of your experience. This is the sixth sense that I'm dealing with. And when you're a deceptive dribbler, you become a marked man or woman. So, you know, you're going to have people that are going to try and chop you off at the knees mm-hmm. because they don't want to be beaten. They don't want to give up a goal. This is where the cynical side of winning, you know, is completely out of control. Because coaches actually encourage their players to take out opponents, bad coaches, terrible coaches, horrible people, encourage their players to take out opponents in order to win a game. You know, so you know, maybe injure a player for life or a person for life. You know, that you cut a player's ACL in half, maybe she never plays sport again. You know, it's 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 really ugly. And and so but the dribbler in our program develops a massive ability, you know, to sense that bad tackle come in mm. because they do it so often that just through experience of what the situation looks and feels like, they're going to be able to avoid, you know, that, that injurious tackle. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. They're going to be able to leap over it. And, and I'm reminded of a clip that I saw back from the 1960s where um, literally George Best was dribbling. It's grainy. It's 60s TV footage. He was dribbling be- towards the TV camera on the halfway line and a player came in literally to break his leg. And right in front of the camera, somehow, and I still couldn't, I, I replayed it and replayed it, I couldn't figure out how he did it. He defied the laws of gravity because he went horizontal sideways to avoid the tackle. And so the guy's studs just glanced against his, his leg because, you know, the, the tackle went underneath him. Instead of hitting a planted leg, George Best was able to literally lay sideways. And the amazing thing was that he didn't go down he actually landed on his feet again after the guy that was trying to break his legs had disappeared out of camera view, you know, and on the other side, he righted himself and carried on dribbling forward with the ball. And I thought to myself, how does anybody do that? You know, where you can go from being upright and dribbling towards the camera, go horizontal to avoid having your legs broken, you know, and then go upright again without ever touching the floor. Hmm. You know, so he developed this, this, both the sixth sense for the tackle and the ability, you know, not to let it impact his dribble, you know, which I thought was just incredible. And so this is the ability you develop if you're put in tough situations where you're twisting and pretzeling and faking and moving and doing all the things that are involved in deceptive dribbling, you know, under pressure in a crowd in the penalty area in the attacking third. And that's the ability that sets all the great players in history apart. That sixth sense, that ability to read something before it happens and have a plan. Even if it, it happens so quickly, it doesn't look as though you could have had a plan. And we've talked about this on numerous episodes. It's, you sometimes refer to this as the bats in the cave radar. It's the ability to, to, to when you're in this environment of utter chaos all the time, to make sense of it and to predict things and see things and experience things in, in ways that other players cannot. And, and, and we train in tight spaces um, for many reasons, but this is Bingo. one of the bigger, biggest reasons. No, and I'll be very honest. I think some of these things that Eddie just mentioned cannot be overlooked because if you literally stop and think the best players of all time, Pelé, Maradona, Messi, I mean, you can bring in Romario, for example, Ronaldinho, all these aspects, physical aspects that Annie described of having like the strength around the knees and having that balance and being able to take a hit, you know, some of them were small guys, but they had a low center of gravity. They could take a hit, very rarely got injured and, you know, had a crazy balance. They were always, you know, being chased by players and trying to get X murdered and they were able to beat them with skill keep balance keep going you see Maradona try to be taken down many times and he's stomping but like he stays up and like there's that balance and coordination proper perception it's just incredible you can see that in all these players how did they all grow up playing a different a very similar style that we played small space street soccer so they didn't spend thousands of dollars going to the gym at 12, 13. They didn't have access to that kind of stuff. Probably never seen a gym until they became pros at 8, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. You know, it was all organic happening that way. And that's what we we trained. It's the best way to, to train the physical aspect of it. Well, I'm curious. How do you say proprioception in Portuguese? Proprioception. You just made that up. <laughs> Swear to God. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's too good to be made up. <laughs> it's the same. It's the same word. It's just the the. I'd never heard of a word until this episode this morning, and you do hadn't I, either. Do you want? Do you want? Do you want? Do you want? Do you want to hear in Spanish? The same. Let me Pro, guess. Pro percepción. <laughs> so basically, Argentina and Brazil are the same place. No. Nope. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. So, so so what we have at our club now is you know we've got this national championship team. You know, where there's a few of the players and the parents are thinking, you know, we need to move to, um, quote unquote, an ECNL club because they get better exposure at the collegiate level. And, you know, and these are the national champions. So that's not true because the national champions are going to get looked at by every single D1 coach in the country. Yeah. You know, so, you know, and they're currently ranked, I think it's fifth or sixth in, in the U.S., including all the ECNL teams. So, you know, the top 50, 100 ECNL teams are going to get recruited by the top, you know, D1 schools, you know, and, and so our guys are going to be right at the top of that list. Yep. And the college coach is going to find a way to look at these girls, yep. without a doubt. But Especially but, with all the video, like, it's just... Oh, it's so easy. They, they send the college coach now a bunch of video. And, and it's, women's, it's women's soccer that we're talking about, not men's, meaning the Big 12 is a big player on the stage. And so KU, K-State, Missouri, Oklahoma, and Nebraska, all the schools that most of these girls are most likely to end up with, all of those schools are going to look at all of the local players like they always do. And I'm friendly with those all coaches. All of those coaches, yeah. yeah, you, know, yeah. I, you know, I know those coaches. And, and so, you know, this is a quick phone call. You know, if one of those players says to me, hey, you know, I really want to go to KU, I call up Mark Francis and I say, and you know, hey, Mark, you know, I got a real good one for you. And those, coaches are, gonna be, take and those coaches are going to be excited because since they're not on the ECNL platform, he doesn't have to recruit against UCLA and North Carolina. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. you know, and, and so, you know, whether it's Mark Francis, you know, uh, or, you know, at KU or Mike Dabini at K-State, they're old friends of mine, you yeah. know, and I ran camps for Mike in, in, uh, out in, in you know, Western Kansas. And, and so, you know, the, these people, you know, are you know, are already looking at these players. They're on the radar. They don't need to go anywhere for exposure. Sure. What they need to do is they need to continue to develop, you know, their skill so that when they are 17, those coaches are still interested in them. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so, you know, we've got a group of, of parents. And, and, of course, they're getting recruited like crazy right now because these are the clubs that are in the ECNL are telling them, you have to play with us in order to get exposure to these coaches. Mm-hmm. And in the case of this team especially, just not the case. Mm-hmm. You know, they're already well-known. They're already being recognized as being great players. You know, so this is the team that le- needs the least extra exposure. Not to mention, what are they probably, what, seventh and eighth graders? So we still have a ways to go. Well, you know, they can't be recruited until they're juniors anyway. So yeah. they should at least stay for the next couple of years yeah. and get the benefit of... Yeah of you know being continually trained to be great players and and what the parents don't realize is if they leave now what about know, the next four or five years when after they're recruited they have to play in a college team how are they going to show up to that college team if they leave in these next four or well, five years so that's the question that they need to answer before they make any decision so so what the parents don't realize is that you know we have all been through this for multiple years on multiple occasions and there has never been a player that has left us. And there's been many national team players that have gone on from our program, you know, and moved on to other teams at, you know, age 14 and, you know, and, uh, you know, players that should have gone all the way and should have been playing at the senior national team. 
And, you know, it's probably upwards of 200 players now that have left us too early and because they were seduced into thinking they needed to play in the DA, you know, or the ECNL, you know, and in order to get a college scholarship and get exposure. And every single one of them has um, even, you know, one player went on and played, you know, for the national champion collegiate program. But she was a national team player when she was 14. And, and right after she left us, she made the national team and joined another club. She made the national team, you know, for the USA. And when she went to college, you know, her game had deteriorated to such a degree, she hardly spent any time. And most of it was at right fullback. Hmm. And she was a center striker, you know, who was just a goal machine. You know, we trained her from age four until 14. She was a kid I would have guaranteed would end up on the U.S. national team if she had stayed with us, played with boys teams, um, you know, guest played anywhere she could around the country with ECNL teams. I, th- you know, I, I can think of a few examples, her included, but also on the boys side that played with the U.S. national team at U14 and didn't play at U16, U17, U18, U19. And coincidentally, they left us around U12, U13. And so numerous players that left us right after they left us, they're in the national team setup a few years on. They're not. Why? Well, I, th- I think I think I think we all know the reason for it. Well, when you go to these other clubs, you know, they don't continue to work on the moves. No, they're working on the pattern play. They're working on a bunch of crap that's so tactically focused. It, it right. destroys the, one ball the between yeah, yeah. 18 kids or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Attack versus yeah. defense. Yep. And so. You know, their ability to dribble deceptively in a Messi or an Mbappe manner goes into the toilet, you know, and all of that stuff that goes with it goes into the toilet. You know, their their awareness of space and time in tight spaces, you know, everything that really makes them devastating in and around the penalty area that got them where they were when they were 14, 15, 16 disappears after they leave us. And if you're like the mom last night in the stands and think dribbling is a bad word, I'll use a different term, maybe one that you really understand. Their ability to create space, space and the ability to create space is what makes players special. Right. And so um, I just it, it's frustrating for sure. Right. Right. So and, and what happens when you're a great dribbler is um, you get special attention from the other team. You know, the problem with teams that play against our legends teams is we're all great dribblers. You know, and so, you know, I go back to the time when your team was playing against the Michigan State champions, you know, and, you know, and the coach, you know, stuck. You know, initially, you know, his axe murderer onto Jesse Baker, you know, and five minutes in the axe murderer had been moved around from player to player because all of our players could do the amazing stuff with the ball. And, and the Neanderthal that was going around kicking people turned to the coach and said, which one coach? You know, because everybody was so skillful. Yeah. So nobody can key in on any one player in our environment and kick them to death. You know, so we have a player go to play for, you know, an ECNL club in town here in Kansas City, what happens to them straight away? They become marked players. Mm. You know, they walk on the field, five minutes in, the coaches recognize the, you know, the kid that came from our program is the most dangerous player on that team. So, you know, the axe murder on that team gets given the assignment, you know, and just kicks the crap out of that player for the rest of the game, intimidates that player out of the game. That doesn't happen when all of our players are on the field because you don't know who the best player is. 
because we've got 15 players that can do a Maradona turn and kill people with it. You know, we've got 15 players that can score goals, you know, can hit bullets from outside the penalty area. You know, and so, you know, it's, it's once again, injury is a factor, but the fact that you're getting special attention, that you're double teamed, you end up being taken out of the game and not even getting the ball game after game after game because they know you're the danger player. You know, it's like when Manchester City plays. You know, now they've got a lot of weapons, but who do they extra specially put numbers on? Haaland. Because he's a monster. He's a goal scorer. You know, so they double team it. And even then they can't stop him. You know, but they give him so much attention that all of a sudden De Bruyne is open and he's world class and he can kill you. Well, you know, it's kind of like the legends. Manchester City is like the legends because they've got Grealish that can kill you. You know, they've got Riyad Mahrez who can kill you. Phil Foden who can kill you. You know, and, and then, of course, De Bruyne and, 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 you know, Haaland. And so you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. But if, the, if a team just had Haaland and then a whole bunch of passes, Haaland would get axe murdered every game he'd be out of the season halfway through with a broken leg you know thinking back to my u17 legends team we were a lot like manchester city with the only difference being the coach the city's got a decent one um so we're coming up we're coming up on was that the last year when that other guy coached you (laughs) yeah yeah that other guy guy. (laughs) i will say i remember distinctly the first practice we had with that other guy who I I get on really well with, nice guy. I get on well as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nice but, guy. But I remember I remember him telling us, guys, you cannot use the outside of your foot during practice. And I'm like, how am I supposed to play soccer with only half my foot? Like we couldn't pass, we couldn't shoot, we couldn't release the ball with the outside of our foot. We had to use the inside of our foot only. And I was like, what is this? You know, and, and you know, before we, I, I, I get, I, before I get we, emotional about it. I mean, you know, the Brazilians use the outside of the foot more than any other part of the foot. Yeah, you know, did, you so see, did you see uh, Tyson's 2012 free kick in oh. Junior State Cup? Oh. It'll be at the top of did top you 10 see, this week. Did you see, did you see that Brilliant. before the clip? He's, he's like working on work, it. Like air shotting it, like yep. working on it. As the referee setting up the wall, he's like doing like this with his foot, like this, like he's going to hit it with the outside of the, the foot. Like he literally manged, man, every interview. If, if you're listening to this, you should make a habit of every week, definitely during the fall and the spring seasons, of going to Legend Soccer Club on YouTube because Philippe edits a top 10 highlight of the top 10 goals from the entire club on a weekly basis. And this goal specifically was, I mean fantastic he has a, another goal that i haven't posted yet the the ball comes to him in the air he he pops it up over the guy's head he doesn't even look he just turns and volley no bounce yeah vor shared it i saw no it. bounce ball goes <laughs> high drops over the keeper's head goal oh, it's just yeah, from it's like special. half in its own way age related it's just as good as roberto carlos uh, yeah you know, uh, 100%. Where he beat yeah, fabian yeah. barthez yeah, yeah. Against, against france yeah yeah, yeah it, you know just just phenomenal stuff and this happens in our club every week you yeah, know it, you yeah. know because we are totally creatively minded yeah you know and and so uh and and, and that's what you know people have got to understand is that you know it, it's the long haul And you can get seduced into thinking that if you go and play for another club, it's the right time to be working on tactics, right? And that's what they tell people, you know, and, but there's a gradual transition, which we do in our program, where we include the tactical situations piece by piece as the timing's right. And we know that our players are not going to go backwards 
on their creative skills, you know, and, you know, the time is not when the kids are in the middle of their growth spurt and they've already lost, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, the t- uh, our best player right now, JC Hackler, you know, on that 2009 team who scores a lot of the goals, a lot of the assists. She's not using as much skill as she was a year ago just because she's shot up, she's put on all the extra poundage, and she needs, you know, to, to you know, retool her physiology, you know, so that all of those, you know, neurological connections for the, the new muscle that she's put on, the, you know, the, the new bone that she needs to control, the levers, you know, the nerves, the sinews, the tendons, you know, ligaments, everything has, has got to be trained again, mm-hmm. you know, to get back to where she was before she shot up by six inches, yeah. you know. And so, so you know, this is a, a, like a two-year process to get her to where she can be on the U.S. national youth team at U-17 and be playing in a World Cup at U-17, you know. And, you know, hey, she's thinking of going to another club. You can kiss that U seventeen national team goodbye. Absolutely, completely, utterly. If if that happens, because what makes her special is the fact that you know over the last few years she's done under pressure Maradona turns and scored goals from thirty yards, and she's not going to get the hundreds of thousands of shots unless she's in our indoor soccer facility environment. Yeah. She's not going to be even encouraged to do Maradona turns unless she's playing with the Kansas City Legends. Yeah, and this this if, will if you train like everybody else, you're gonna play like everybody else. Mm-hmm. You're gonna train differently, so you we can be put that different. On a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's uh, you know, and there's so much more to this than meets the eye. I, I've got a feeling that we've reached the limit. For we the ha- time. we have for this one, but uh, this episode will drop later today, probably, um, and then the next episode will drop um, uh, mid to late next week, um, and the next episode will be the rest of the notes that. Um, um, are sat in front of Andy as we as we unpeel this onion. As you can imagine, Andy's been. Andy's I'm curious if I remove a few of these notes. If you'll notice, no, oh, he'll week. notice. He'll notice. You think so? What What is most interesting to me when we do this stuff is Andy creates the notes, but he doesn't look at them because most of that's in his head, anyways, or in our head, right? Like I imagine when I talked about the neurological growth spurt that happens, right? And you and I talked about that because we've talked about that. For years, I mean, I can go back 20 years and still hear your voice talking about the, the, the backpack of added muscle tissue that occurs during the, the puberty stage. I am sure that is on one of your notes over there. Absolutely. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. My problem is that, that, you know, I'm fanatical about preparation, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so I always make way too much, you know, uh, you know, way too many notes. Knowing that you're fanatical about preparation, I would have expected you to be a different coach, more focused on deceptive dribbling and goal scoring. Well, yeah, but that's that's a very good point, actually, because, um, you know, fanatical about preparation doesn't mean that you're not creative. I was that was a joke I, because I it makes sense that you're fanatical about preparation because that's what we do all day, every day in practice is prepare the kids specifically in the areas that will provide them the, the, the largest ceiling, highest I think, ceiling. I think I should tell the jokes from now on. Okay. <laughs> Did you guys notice uh, there was no jokes told in this episode? We had to jump in. We had to talk about Crocker, and you yeah, know, yeah, so yeah, yeah, my yeah. stupid jokes had to take a backseat. Uh, uh, hey, and pull that clip. Is... Let's use that. My stupid jokes had to take a backseat. <laughs> we'll use that one. Uh, in, in, in my, my wife keeps telling me lose the jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad she can get to you because I don't feel like I can. 
Um, but uh, this will be a fun conversation. I could see us continuing on because for us in Kansas City, tryouts are a little more than a month away. And so um, these are conversations we're having in real time with, with families um, involved in our club and families considering joining the club. And and we feel our greatest responsibility as, as coaches and leaders within this club structure um, is to educate players and parents. Um, and um, whether somebody's with us or thinking about leaving us or thinking about joining us, um, that doesn't change. We still feel that our responsibility is to give them as much information as they can and, and, and as be as educated as possible on the areas that we think we're experts. Um, and, and this and is definitely a, that. As a teaser, one of the areas that we've got to get into, which is absolutely huge for these kids, is the psychology of leadership. No, for sure. You know, and we've not gotten into... We don't spend enough time on that, I don't think. We, we've not... What, what's happening with the 2009 team and that the, the parents don't realize is... is they're deep six in their kids' abilities if, if they take them to another club to be leaders in three years' time. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're going to slide back into the, follow, the follower mode. Or leaders in 30 years' time, which if we're all being honest with, with what our, as parents, what our goal for kids is not to be the best athlete at 18 that they can be, but it's to be the best person, human, contributor, society at, at 35, 40, 55, 60 um, when we're long gone. At least I like to think that's my goal which, as a dad. Which, you know, for those people that don't know, I've written a 300-plus page book on. Sure. You know, you know, Legends for Life, you know, about how this impacts kids forever until they die. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's the most important thing. And, and when you leave this organization, you know, if it's not set in stone, which there's no way for a 14-year-old it can be, because the changes they make between 14 and 18, 19. and adulthood yep. are absolutely massive. For sure. This is life defining. It's got nothing to do with soccer. It's life defining. Yep. And we need to get into that and illustrate why, you know, what we do is so good for that. For sure. Uh, thank you for listening, Philippe, Andy. I'm glad you guys are back stateside and we got to get together again. Um, Till next week. Thanks, guys. See ya. Bye. Bye.